Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Beyond the Wire podcast. I am your host, Tim Keller, and along with me, as he always is, is Mr. Matt Disher. Matt, how have you been? We've been uh, off for a couple weeks now. Uh, just got done a vacation myself, but how, how have you been doing there in Cincinnati? Well, as we were talking before we went live, uh, I'm coaching three sports, and I didn't realize I'd be coaching three sports at the same time. And that is occupying, uh, what's that term? Free time. Yeah, yeah, free time. All of your time. <laughs> all of my time. <laughs> yes. So it is it is hang it up at work and go to some sport thing. Uh, Monday night, I had baseball practice from as soon as everybody got off work and school mm-hmm. until it got dark. And then I ran off to basketball practice. So a um, thousand miles an hour. But I'll tell you what, I enjoy it. I especially enjoy football. We're getting to near, near the end of the football season for the kids. And uh, it has been a heck of a season. We, we won, actually, we, we have not had the best uh, season quite yet, but we, we won our first game this past weekend. That's awesome. Uh, and it was a pretty good blowout too. So there you go. Yeah, it, it's it good great. to see the, the kids improve as the season goes on. Right. And, and most of our kids on our football team have never played football before, uh, or, or they did not consistently play football. So there's two football teams in, in this school district for this grade. And one of the teams is more experienced. They play a lot, mm-hmm. but they've been playing since they were in kindergarten. Uh, the other team is a lot of the newer guys. And so my son is on this team. He plays, he's now playing center. He's like the shotgun snapper. Yeah. Uh, they, f- they figured out that he's really good at that and, okay. and doesn't let anybody through the O-line when he's on the O-line. Uh, he, I think he's from height and weight. He's the largest kid on the team. Nice. Um, gives you any sense of anything. He's five, two and 120 pounds in sixth grade, which is taller than most kids, Yeah, but not the biggest. We're facing some teams, not kidding where their quarterbacks look like they're 17 years old. Uh, you got linemen that are 250 pounds and they're, you know, Jeez. damn near six feet tall in sixth grade. Yeah. Um, but uh, so then my son also plays defensive end and is still getting to know that position. It's not where he has been playing for most of the season, but they put him there, rearrange some things. And he's out there scrapping with the guys on the end, trying to trying to get some sacks, trying to get some hands on some quarterbacks and some running backs. So there you go. it's going to be unfortunately, it's going to be a shame when it's over soon. Yeah. But you'll get a little bit more time back, which will be a plus for you. And uh, you'll you'll go into next season with a little bit more knowledge and your son will be uh, ready to go. And I don't I don't know what I do with that time anyway, quite honestly. <laughs> like, I know it sounds like it's it's really like it keeps me busy and we've got all kinds of things going on. But at the yeah. same time, like, what would I be doing if I wasn't doing that? We'd be sitting on the couch or I'd have to go do yard work or something. And I don't yeah, I don't want to do that. So, yeah. <laughs> so you, you just got back from vacation, though. I, I did. Well, real quick, you mentioned, uh, you know, playing against certain teams and the quarterbacks look like they're 17 years old. I know the. Yeah. Uh, uh, the Little League World Series just ended uh, what, oh, yeah. a few weeks ago now. Yeah. Uh, it, it's neat watching those kids, uh, you know, play for that title. You know, it's 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 very fun. Uh, but occasionally you'll see, you know, a kid that's supposed to be 14 years old comes up to the plate. You know, he's 6'2", right. 185. You know, like, he's like, my name is, my name is Alex Rodriguez, son. Yeah, uh, yeah Rodriguez, <laughs> son. I'm, I'm, I was, I'm I'm 14 and I like GI Joes. Yeah, I was born in 1980. Uh, I mean, 2008. <laughs> counting, counting the math back. Uh, yeah, I don't know. 2010. Uh, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's a. I, I just saw something I think on Facebook or Instagram the other day, and it was like how the World Series, the Little League World Series, is, and it's like some little kid comes on the screen and he's down here and he's like, my name's Billy and I like GI Joes and dinosaurs, and then the stuff. next guy comes on, he's got a beard, and he's like, my yeah. name's Tom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but it's the truth. You at this age, right? Mm-hmm. Especially like 
my son's team is 11 and 12 year olds. You get into like the 14 year olds and the 15 year olds and you got dudes that show up. I ran track with a guy who looked like he was 30 years old when I was in seventh or eighth grade. It's, it's crazy. The, the variance uh, in literally you, you, you mentioned in just like a two year period from where your son is now to where he'll be in two years, the yeah. variance of you can get a, a baby faced looks like he's 10 years old, but is legit 14. Yeah. And then you can have a, a six foot four monster that looks like a grown man would probably get served at most bars. If he walked right. in and, <laughs> always, and, and he's legit around. 14, 15 years old. And, and, you know, I, I understand, you know, like I said, watching the Lily world series, like, don't think that's a 15 year old but yeah whatever. well we we always joke around when these kids show up to sports whether it's basketball football baseball whatever and they show yeah. up and we're like that kid just drove his own camaro with t-tops <laughs> yeah. to this game after he got done shaving and dropping his kids off at daycare yeah, yeah he, and, he, and now he, here he is to play with an 11 year old team yeah he pulled up did a burnout in the parking lot right, while he had right. led zeppin playing right he's not like De deaf leopard he has a bullet yeah, he took his jean jacket <laughs> off and threw it in the back seat like <laughs> Uh, How old yeah, I, but it but it is it's it's crazy. And like I said, my son is one of the bigger kids. I mean, I'm I'm six foot four. I know mm -hmm. a lot of people don't realize that on camera, but I'm six foot four. My son is going to be probably taller than me, but he's still not even one of the biggest guys out there. And he's one of the biggest guys out there. Yeah, that's crazy. So it's yeah, it's nuts. Yeah. Uh, yes, I did get back uh, on Monday from vacation. Well, Sunday evening from vacation. Um, took the family down to South Carolina. Um, for anyone that doesn't know, I have I have custody of one of my nieces. Uh, my other niece and nephew live with my in-laws. So we took the whole crew down, uh, down to South Carolina. And then a, a, another family that we are friendly with uh, decided they were also going to take their vacation at the same time. They went down, stayed at the same property we were staying on. Uh, mm -hmm. So, you know, we were in very close proximity. We take a huge crew out to the beach, huge crew to the pool. Uh, for me, I like to turn my phone off to try to, uh, get away and try to relax. I enjoy a nice lazy river, get on an inner tube, just kind of float around. Uh, that's, you know, I, I try to just want to relax Yeah, all year that's long. Uh, it's go, 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 go. So yep. I want to just, just wind down and, and relax. I will say that serve me drinks at the pool. Yes. <laughs> I will say that, um, as kids tend to do, they, they get to a destination and they immediately want to go, 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 go. Um, right. so we got in, Saturday evening, got the groceries, you know, unloaded everything, settled in. Uh, so Sunday morning, the kids, we want to go to the beach. We want to go to the beach. It might rain. Right. No, we want to go to the beach. So we went to the beach. We set up everything. And it immediately started to pour. I mean, it rained hard. Uh, it's interesting. The The kids, I'll, I'll give them this. They're troopers. They stuck it out for about a good half hour. Yep. Uh, everyone was completely soaked, but we're in bathing suits. doesn't really matter. Yeah. Uh, and then we finally packed everything up jump back on the golf carts right back to the house. But overall, it was a fantastic vacation. I was glad everybody had a good time. Uh, we got back, like I said, Sunday evening. And of course, Monday morning, uh, getting the kids up for school. I don't want to go back. I hate it. <laughs> yep. I, I just envision, I, I envision you though, like if it started raining on the, on the beach, do you just sit there and you say, oh, no, no, no. You guys wanted to come. You had to come to the beach. I told you, because that's what I would do. I'd just I, sit there in the rain. I'd be like, you know, to quote the Marine Corps, if it ain't raining, we ain't training. We ain't training yeah. We, uh, we had, we had, uh, the one niece, the youngest niece, uh, was kind of standing under the umbrella. Yep. Like, no, come on, get out there. So yeah. no, get <laughs> there's out there. the you ocean. Wanna, you guys wanted yeah, to be you, here. You had to be here. So that's right. It's like, look, it's going to rain today and the rest of the week is going to be beautiful, but we had yep. to come to the beach today. Didn't we? Right now. We had to come so, right now. Yep.
So, but you know, we, we made the best of it. We had some uh, indoor activities to do, so it was a good day overall, but that's cool. Uh, yeah. It was, it's good to be back, I guess. <laughs> it's good to be back on the podcast. Let's say that. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it's my time of the year. You're, you're talking about your guys' football season's January to end. I want to send my condolences to the Cincinnati Bengals. Two <sighs> tough losses. They're right there. I know. I know. It's. I mean, I mean, I was so rooting for them to beat the Steelers in week one. And then I didn't get to watch any of the, the Bengals game this past week, but I, I know it was another close one. So they're, they're right there. They'll, they'll get it figured out. I have no doubts. Yeah. You know, the thing I keep telling myself is that we lost to last year and we went to the Super Bowl, right? But among other teams we lost to were the Jets and the Jets were like one of they had the, one of the worst records in mm -hmm. football last year. And we lost to them, but still went to the Super Bowl. So I keep telling myself, you know, there are these things that can change and there's still plenty of season left. And, and that's true. And, and, who knows? It's it's up for grabs right now. There are some teams that look really good that end up Eagles. sort of petering out. And then there are some teams that don't look so good and they might end up rising to the top. At the end of the day, you know, a couple of things have happened and we can diagnose this for years, but the, the Bengals starters didn't take any snaps during the preseason mm -hmm. and it shows. Mm -hmm. I think everybody was hopeful that like we got a bunch of new O-line guys and Joe Burrow wasn't going to get crushed on every play. And now he's getting crushed on every play and he's running for his life. Um, I don't know. It's just hard. It, my wife calls me a fair weather fan. I'm not really a fair weather fan. I'm more like I'm irritated and I'm frustrated. Mm -hmm. I want it to be good. But then I also realize, I mean, very few teams have ever gone through almost a whole season just with just wins. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's very few that ever have. One, one team has ever done it. It's the 72 Dolphins, the, yeah. the Patriots and like, I don't know, two couple years ago or 12. Yeah. Yeah. We're close. Right. They lost the Super Bowl. So. But it was, yeah. it, it's one of those things where, you know, it's, it's highly unrealistic that we win them all and, mm -hmm. you know, we got to get closer to like halfway through the season and then make the determination. Like, how yeah. are we doing now? You, you know, it's, you mentioned a lot of teams are kind of dealing with that. A lot of teams didn't play a lot of their starters throughout the regular season. So you, you see some, some hiccups and some, uh, some rust being knocked off these first couple of weeks uh, with what the Bengals did in the playoffs last year. Uh, I, I don't want to say it was lucky, but there was some. Balls bounced the Bengals way there in the playoffs. They had a few yeah. things happen and, you know, uh, you know, they won some games by the skin of their teeth. It's the same setup yeah. here. It's just going the opposite direction. These first two games, the Bengals are a very good team. They'll, they'll, they'll get there. Uh, also speaking of condolences, uh, you know, we are American military veterans. Uh, I you know want to say condolences to everyone over there in the UK, you know, you know God rest the queen, all that good stuff. Um, but yeah, she was the longest reigning uh, uh, member of that family. It, it, monarch it, of the yeah, monarch. There you of go. The, of the uh, family. British royal family. I actually watched a thing on YouTube last night where this guy went through all of the monarchs in the entire history of the UK, oh, wow. going back to the 1100s or something oh. like that. I forget exactly when the that family was established, but uh, but yeah, you know, I I did a lot of training. I did some some overseas work with the British Royal Marines. Um, and I found them to be, aside from the fact that sometimes we couldn't understand each other, be, and it's funny, we speak the same language, but sometimes it's just hard to understand each other at any rate. Uh, they were just as, as wild and crazy and, uh, and patriotic and driven and motivated as we were as United mm -hmm. States Marines. Um, but, uh, you know, great, great country of allies to have on our back. And I know that the queen was of service to her country, to, to the, to the people of her country for 70 some odd years mm -hmm. as the queen. Um, 
it's a big deal. I mean, it is a really big deal. And it's a, I think Americans have a trouble understanding this because we don't have that. We have, you know, like other countries have prime ministers who are typically the political leaders of an organization. And then there's the monarchy or the queens and kings and things like that, which are rare and few and far between anymore. We have, we have presidents and political leaders, which if we watch the news, we should hate them, right? Like mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're not, they're not idols. They're not always of service as the queen is. So it's a little bit different for us to understand in this country. And, and to her credit up until her last few days, I mean, she was still taking meetings and sitting yep. down with people and, yep. uh, you know, she, she, she did it for a lifetime and she, uh, you know, by all accounts, she did a great job of it. So, right. uh, you know, but as we all will, we will all pass on. And I think, uh, I think they're in good hands over there in, uh, in England. So condolences to anyone that uh, is now missing the queen, but, uh, you know, Matt, we we kicked some uh, articles back and forth. I think we both found uh, a good one that we're going to lead the show off with here. Um, yeah, sorry, I'm I'm reading this this article here. The first one we have that we're going to talk about today is ten mind blowing things top veteran employers do. Uh, you can find this article on military.com. The article goes in and talks about which companies in the United States are truly the best employers when it comes to hiring veterans. Uh, Matt, you've kind of said it yourself on the podcast before. Plenty of companies will call themselves veteran friendly. They will put a, a flag up on their website or the emblems of the different branches of service. Uh, but really what it comes down to is how you act and, and not just not just the words you say. It, it's your actions. And, and this article talks about this here. Uh, you mentioned that you thought this was a good article. It, you also thought it was missing some things. So that's where I want to get to you. I, I want to go through the article and then I'd, yeah. I'd like to hear your thoughts about what is possibly missing here. So yeah. number one is embrace the truth about hiring. Your company probably spends a ton of money listing its open positions on job sites. This is a good first step, but most people do not land their jobs by filling out an application on a website. They land their jobs through networks. This doesn't mean the job candidate's mom is the CEO of the company. It means that most people who get hired have a passing connection with someone who is already in the company. Uh, but the problem is here for us, for veterans, is you've spent four, eight, 20, 35 years uh, in your military service. Your ability to network with civilians in the, the professional sector has been limited. So yep. as you exit to the military, your network of professional connections is going to be much less than, uh, you know, that other 35 year old, uh, you know, that's been in the, in the civilian workforce this entire time. If you've ever heard me talk uh, on a speaking engagement or probably even here, really, I, I say there are three things that you need to be doing for a sex successful transition or a successful job switch if you're coming out of the military. And those things are networking, networking, and networking. So you're, you need to be networking as much as you possibly can. You know, applicant tracking systems are a necessary function of hiring and recruiting, right? So mm -hmm. some people might cringe when they hear me say this, but uh, applicant tracking systems are also sort of like steam engines in this process. And what I mean by that is they served a purpose a long, long time ago. That's how they used to collect applicants and then process them. And we still do collect them and process them that way. But what happens more and more now is that you need to have connections with people, especially if you're coming out with a, a 20 year, 25 year resume or a 10 year resume from the military. Those of us who have served in the military, we know that if you took somebody with 10 years of military experience, they probably had four or five or six different jobs. Sometimes those jobs look unrelated on a resume. 
So some 26, 28 year old recruiter and a company is picking up this piece of paper and looking at it and going, I don't know what to do with this person. I'm going to move on. And I'm going to go to the low hanging fruit, the candidate that works in the company down the street doing the same job that I'm trying to hire for. That's called low hanging fruit. It's easy. It's quicker. Companies are trying to quickly hire people, They're trying to hire the best person for the job. We're going to talk a little bit more about this throughout this article. But at the, at the same time, you have to become the obvious candidate and you have to make sure that you understand what this job is asking for. In some cases, go ask people how in similar roles, how they got to where they are and what will happen sort of organically is that person might say, Hey, you might be a great fit for this position. Let me network you with a few other people that can help you get where you're going. It's easier to do that than just to apply for a job alongside of 250 other applicants. Yeah, absolutely. Number two on the list is install a military door to overcome this lack of civilian network. The most successful veteran employers install what we call a military door. This is a prominent place on the website. Essentially, this is a, 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 portion of the website that is dedicated to, uh, you know, we hire veterans, click here, and then it'll take you, uh, you know, to a link, it'll link you to a veteran recruiter, it'll link you to a veteran hiring program, it'll give you the emails for veteran recruiting teams, things of that nature. Um, but yeah, that is what is known as a as a military door It is a specific place on the on the website under the careers portal, that will link you to that, uh, you know, for, for Matt's case, someone that, that deals with veteran hiring uh, for that company. And listen, that's not even a guarantee that that all these things will come together, right? What it's mm -hmm. doing is offering you, uh, again, take that the, the, the person with the 20-year military resume. It's offering you potentially, I have points of contact or in the networking phase, I know that this company has a military program. Let me go cross-reference and find that person or those people on LinkedIn. And I should be talking to them. Don't just say, hey, they have a military program. I'm going to apply and I'll expect that everybody that checks the veteran box is going to be looked at. Look, it's it's hundreds, maybe thousands of people for larger companies. It's thousands of people per month that are checking that veteran box. And, and literally recruiters don't have time to uh, to go through all of those applications and all of those resumes. So uh, this is the other piece I hear quite a bit. This this conversation surfaces. It kind of ebbs and flows on social media. Hey, all these companies say that they want to hire veterans, but they're not hiring veterans because they didn't hire me. That's the, the key takeaway there is that they didn't hire you. Mm -hmm. uh, this is called tough love. I have this conversation with my counterparts a lot. It's tough love. Uh, just because they're not hiring you doesn't mean that they're not hiring veterans. They're hiring thousands of veterans. Companies are tripping over, them and over themselves and spending millions of dollars in money and treasure to attract qualified military applicants. What's happening is your military resume or your experience might look different from what they're looking for. So in a lot of cases, and we talk about this a lot, Tim, you got to take your resume and formulate it to look what like what the job description is asking for. Don't just have one resume that's like, I was packing C-130s and, you know, Galaxy aircraft. And, you know, I had M1A1 or M1A2 tanks on my logistics role and, you know, blah, blah, blah. None of that is relevant to anybody in the civilian space. What you need to do is turn that into civilian jargon that makes sense with what that 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 job description is asking for. Yeah, and that exactly leads us into number three, uh, be cool and add a tool. So no one expects and none of us as veterans should expect to be hired just because we served in the military. And let's be realistic. No one wants to uh, you know, be given a, a, a job or in this case, a gift just because you know of our service. Uh, so what happens is, like you just said, Matt, 
some of these veterans get out and their resumes are filled with to us or other people from the military looks like a, a fantastic list of skills and abilities that they've picked up over their military career. But to the untrained eye, it's just kind of full of military jargon that really uh, doesn't translate to the civilian sector. Uh, you know, on military.com, they have the military skills translator that you can use as well as their resume masterclasses. And they also offer a free spouse resume masterclass for military spouses. So Matt, you kind of teed us right up for number three. That was a, a great one there. Yeah, I think that the, here's the other thing that didn't exist when when you and I got out, Tim, and that didn't exist for generations before us. There are tools coming out of your ears right now. Mm -hmm. There are there are a million people out there that want to help you get where you're going, and there are a lot of digital uh, tools and, and resources that you can lead into. Also, uh, military skills translators. Uh, I've been open about this. They've never been my favorite thing, only because I, I was a combat engineer in the Marines. Right, we were combat engineers. Mm -hmm. We did a number of different things, but largely our job description by the basics of the Marine Corps were that we would construct battlefield constructions and, and enforcements and uh, channelization of the enemy. And it, I don't even think the job description sometimes even mentions explosives. All I did was explosives. I don't think mm -hmm. I ever built anything. And when I came out and initially would do these military skills translators, it would tell me I should be a bricklayer or it would tell me I should be doing something like drywalling or something along those lines. I've never done any of that. I don't know the first thing about it. Secondly, I don't have a desire to do that type of work. So bear in mind, the military skills translators of, of current, uh, oftentimes what they're trying to do, they're great tools if you want to stay in a, a, a similar type of role or you're trying to figure out like, hey, what should I be asking for in a company? But bear in mind that if you want to shift gears and do something different from the military, probably more so for infantry or combat arms jobs, maybe fighter pilots like, you can't fly fighter jets for Delta, right? You can fly aircraft, but maybe you don't want to do that anymore. I talked mm -hmm. to a lot of people that don't want to do the same job that they did in the military. Bear that in mind. It's going to give you things that it, it might think you want to be looking at. The other thing is it doesn't take your experience, your B billets, your A billets. It doesn't take your, uh, your other, your ranks and your leadership capability and all that stuff necessarily into, into, into focus. It, it doesn't know that, as a sergeant in a combat engineer platoon, perhaps you're not, uh, perhaps you're not the one inventorying the pioneer gear. You know what I mean? That's, that's not what you do. What you're doing is overseeing 13 or 30 other Marines and their day-to-day -day activities and proficiency and conduct and things like that. So mm -hmm. just bear that in mind. Military yeah. skills translators are, are fine. Use them, but don't rely a hundred percent on them. Yeah, absolutely. Number four. And when I read this earlier, it made me go, Oh, Matt, uh, number four, staff veteran recruiters and treasure them. Recruiting is an intense job, Matt. You could uh, vouch for that, especially in this economy. When it comes to hiring qualified applicants who are also veterans, recruiters can feel like they are hunting for the elusive red, white, and blue unicorn. Uh, to that, I'll say don't go buy a unicorn horn and make that your picture on uh, on LinkedIn. Don't do that. A dedicated veteran recruiter or veteran recruiting team puts in their 10,000 hours learning the nuances of finding and hiring the right veterans. It is a skill. In the past year, the individual writing this article has interviewed veteran recruiters who were tough, fair, and so well-versed in military and company culture that they are more than subject matter experts. They are national treasures. Well. You are well, a treasure, Matt. Well, um, <laughs> uh, you know, I appreciate that. You know, sometimes uh, this is recruiting in general, even outside of, of doing the military pieces in, in corporate America. Recruiting is 
it's a no win job. And I know some recruiters might, might poo poo me for saying that a lot of recruiters would probably agree. It's a no win job, which simply means that there are not just candidates sitting around waiting for your job, uh, especially in a labor market, a job market, like it is right now. And it has been for a few years. Uh, it is a, it's a job seekers market. Uh, unemployment, I think is, you know, near historic lows, or it has been near historic lows in the last four or five years, making it really hard to just go out there and pluck people. The other thing we have to be really conscious of is we have to build campaigning that reaches what we call, uh, passive candidates. Not everybody's looking for a job. Like 90% of candidates on the labor market are not looking for a job. They're employed, but they're not looking for a job. So recruiters are recruiting from 10% or 15% of the population that's actually actively putting their resume out there. We have to build processes around reaching those people who might not be thinking about looking for a job right now. Mm -hmm. And a lot of companies aren't thinking like this. They're not, they're not organized as such. They're not doing the big campaigning, the, the big, uh, the big advertising campaigning. I think of, you know, the Budweiser's and things like that during like the Super Bowl. like they have these or Jeep, they have these amazing commercials that, a, want to sell you products, but B, you might look at that organization and be like, wow, I hadn't thought of them as a potential employer. Maybe they have an opportunity there. So it's just a, an extreme example here. Yeah. Um, veteran recruiting, military recruiting, we're effectively recruiting from 200,000 people a year, leave the military. Um, and we're recruiting from somewhere around three and a half percent of the U.S. population. Some people might flag that number, well, 7% of the U.S. population are veterans. Half of that number are people that are Cold War era veterans or older. A lot of them are retired. We're not recruiting the Korean War, Vietnam War veterans anymore. We're not, they're not in the labor market as such. Um, so what's happening is you're really actually recruiting from a very small percentage of a small percentage. And a lot of those people are historically employed. Veterans tend to be employed and paid better and stick around longer at their employers than their civilian counterparts. So uh, it's a fun job. It's a tough job. It can't solve all the problems. Absolutely. Uh, number five on the list is state your veteran hiring goals. Now I've seen, um, or read or, you know, whatever, uh, companies across this country come out with that number. We want to hire, uh, 10,000 veterans over the next five years. Uh, you know, we want to hire, you know, 5,000 veterans over the next two years, whatever it is. I've seen companies do this, uh, even though I might not be looking for a job. It's one of those things where I see that and I go, that's great. In this article, it talks about that. Uh, the the author of the article says they like to see companies with goals and plans to meet those goals. A publicly stated objective for hiring veterans is a tool both for the veteran job hunter and a hiring manager at your firm. So, uh, you know, if you're if Matt was, uh, you know, at company XYZ down the road and they say, Matt, we want you to hire veterans. OK, how many veterans? Right. Oh, OK. You go to a company and they say, hey, over the next uh, five years, we need you and your team to try to get us 5,000 veterans in the door. Right. Now they have an objective. They have that number. Mm -hmm. They have that goal. And, uh, you know, you can go back to the executive team and say, hey, we're two years in and we're already at 3,000 uh, veterans hired. Right. Uh, should we pick it up? Should we slow it down? What are your thoughts? I, I personally don't like publicly sharing what the goals are. What we try to do in, in the roles that I've held, and I've run these programs in three different companies throughout my career. Uh, I like to, I like to share the goals on the inside in internally to the people inside of the company and let them know that what we're trying to do typically is beat the previous goal, right? We're mm -hmm. always trying to one up in one level. You're going to eventually run into a point where you're going to, 
you're going to hit critical mass where you simply are unable to hire more per year or employ more per year because, you know, again, like I mentioned, like 3.5%, maybe 4% of, of the veteran population in the United States are actually in the workforce. And as more and more companies pick up programs and start to do these types of things the right way, uh, you have more competition, which means it's not the days of old where you have 200,000 veterans leaving or people leaving the military every year and you can just go out there and get them all. The other thing is that I like to look at quality over quantity. I'd rather have good, well-paying, forward-moving positions open that I'm recruiting military and veterans into, ones that are going to have a sustainable uh, payroll, a sustainable uh, wage uh, and upward mobility, because I, what I don't want to do is, is bring them all into only entry level jobs where if they don't see the forward movement that they were used to in the military after a year or something like that, they don't see a light at the end of the tunnel. They're going to bail. Mm -hmm. And it's not helpful to hire a thousand veterans and turn over 900 of them. That's, that's a, that's a horrible waste of, of great talent and resources. So what we'd rather do as an organization, and I'm not, um, by the way, I, I don't have anything against companies sharing that, hey, we're going to hire 10,000 over the course of the next 10 years. That's great. That's great. If they have the capacity to do that and the roles to do that, absolutely. Uh, it's not my personal preference, but I, I do look at the, the quality over quantity. It's, it's, uh, and we hire a lot of quantity, but it is the quality of, of life. What we're looking for is taking really well-skilled talent and bringing them into you know, well-paid jobs that uh, have a lot of upward mobility and, and opportunity to grow. Yeah, it's fantastic. Number six, expect what you inspect. In the military, they have a saying that you can expect what you inspect. For veteran hiring, this means that you need to ask applicants to check a box if they are a military veteran or a military spouse. Uh, on many applications these days, uh, you, you can self-report your military status, your veteran status in there. Uh, this will help you know, military recruiting teams, veteran recruiting teams, uh, people like Mr. Matt Disher here. Uh, kind of whittled down that that pool of candidates to those uh, those veteran uh, individuals or military spouses and uh, get you in front of the people like Matt who do this amazing work at a much faster and better pace. Um, it also mentions in this paragraph, uh, you can, as, as recruiters, you can also identify areas of your company in which veterans succeed. Uh, I know that there are specific jobs or maybe in a larger company, specific roles that uh, veterans tend to maybe, you know, kind of, you know, drift towards or navigate themselves towards, uh, you know, if, if your company sees past success with veteran hiring, it might be that starting block, uh, that you can bring veterans into. And Matt, you mentioned about, you know, bringing people in with a, a solid income, uh, and there's that, that forward movement there, at least there's that light, uh, you perform well, you could have potential to move forward. Uh, as, as you have those candidates that do start to move forward, you can now hopefully find uh, other veterans and military members to bring into those now vacant roles. Yeah. And, and so uh, two points here, I always ask people to check the box, check the mm -hmm. box for, for the, the race and the gender and the veteran status and disability status. And, and for a number of different reasons, for one, what people have to understand is that the recruiters aren't looking at those numbers. They can't see that you checked the box that you have a disability or check the box for gender or whatever. They're not, they're not, mm -hmm. They're not able to have access to that type of thing in the application process for obvious reasons. So there's no implicit bias. Um, but the other thing that it does is once you check that box, if and when you get hired, then they have a knowledge of you being in the organization, which allows for better engagement. I can go to my veteran population side of the organization and say, hey, if you are a veteran based on some of these lists, based on some of your, your own input, uh, I can now engage you. And, and we can do amazing things together. I can send you a shirt or I can invite you to events or I can get you involved in, in 
speaking engagements and things like that. So um, I think that that's, that's one of the big things that I ask people to do is, is to make sure that they are, are staying connected to being able to check that box. Uh, it allows us to keep in touch with them and, and, and know what they're doing. The other point here, the, what I call low hanging fruit, and it's low hanging fruit for jobs, not for candidates. In other words, if I have a really big population of maintenance people coming out of the military and I have a whole bunch of maintenance jobs, obviously, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously, I'm going to build specific campaigning around I need the skilled tradespeople. Every company needs skilled trade people, still skilled tradespeople right now. Uh, recruiters are abundant coming out of the military. If I'm a recruiting company or if I have a big need for recruiters, let's go find some recruiters from the military instead of trying to say, hey, let's go find a C-suite from the military and try to plug them in. It's you know, it's, a, it's the purple squirrel or the unicorn, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to be a really hard process. And at the end of the year, after you've spent six months on trying to find that executive level person from the military, you, you could have hired 300 people and you've hired one, right? I know mm -hmm. that's a, an extreme example again, but uh, we do have specific, we should, companies should in general uh, have specific roles that they are uh, not, not just exclusively for veterans. I wouldn't say it that way, but that they should be campaigning toward some of those roles. If there's a lot of population in the military that leave and you're like, I've got a lot of jobs that match up exactly to that, what they do. Mm -hmm. Absolutely build campaigns around those and try to get mm -hmm. that, try to get those candidates in the door. Yep. Uh, number seven is privileged skin in the game. So this paragraph, it's kind of talking about some of the programs we've spoke about in the past, uh, meaning the skill bridge program, um, the onward to opportunity, the hiring our heroes program. You know, it, it is it, this. Okay. So what this, what this article says here is not only is the rate of job offers extremely high after the completion of one of these internships, but the retention rate of those employees is in the 80% range. Uh, you know, Matt, We've talked about it before, uh, you know, for, for Tim Keller gets out of the military, he doesn't go through the skill bridge program or the hiring our heroes or the onward opportunity. He comes out, he, uh, you know, well, back in my day, I got the newspaper and went to classifieds, but today right. I'd, I'd get on LinkedIn or I'd get on monster.com or one of these job boards. And I start applying to jobs that I think I'm, I'm you know, uh, skilled enough to, to maybe land. And then I get into that first job and I realize, man, this isn't anything like I thought it was going to be. There's really no camaraderie. There's no brotherhood like I'm used to having over these past four years. And within that first year, you're you're back out there on the job market. Yeah. You know, that's really kind of what we want to try to stay away from. We want these these military veterans to get out and that that job they land. It might not be the job that they work for or work with the rest of their entire lives. Yeah. But we want them to find quality in that first job. We want them to, to stay, start to build their skills, start to build their networks in the civilian sector. And then if it's five, 10 years down the road, at that point, maybe then they move on. But an 80 cent, I'm sorry, an 80% uh, retention rate uh, when we're talking about military veterans is a, is a fantastic number. And I was, I was very pleased when I read that. Look, it, it, this is so O2O, Onward to Opportunity, the Skillbridge Program, the Hiring Our Heroes Fe Corporate Fellowship Programs. These are all game changing programs. And I can't stress that enough. We have invested heavily in this. I've, I've actually, aside from having literally written the playbook on how to build a military and veteran program, mm -hmm. and I, I have an actual 10 page document that outlines the step by step process to do it. Uh, I've also been a thought leader alongside of a handful of other people. Uh, leading the the progress or progression of how SkillBridge and and those types of opportunities work, um, they're game changing. Like I said before, 
50 years ago, 100 years ago, 10 years ago, when we left the armed forces, we had to hang up the uniform and then figure out what we were going to do. Or in some cases, you figure out what you're going to do. But LinkedIn and social networking didn't didn't exist back then. Mm -hmm. So you you basically had to go drop off resumes at places. I remember very distinctly, right after I left the Marines, taking my resume to 50 different employers. I was driving around with my dad. He was helping me out. And I was walking resumes in manila folders into offices, dropping off my resume that says, I'm a combat engineer in the Marines. And not one of those people called me back, by the way. Uh, but it was this it was this learning episode of, gosh, it kind of sucks that I had to get out of the military. Now I'm not getting paid, by the way, after terminal mm -hmm. leave. And now I have to figure out what I'm doing next. SkillBridge effectively bridges that, that gap, that mm -hmm. skill gap. Uh, now you're able to do an internship inside of an organization the Department of Defense is paying their salary for the three or four or five months or whatever you get out of the person. As an organization, I'm able to bring this person in and give them full-blown exposure to all of the operations in our organization. And then following that internship, we we generally, we only plug people into these internships, these SkillBridge internships, if we have a full-time role already slated uh, and, and ready to go. So what's happening is they're coming in and they're learning, they're getting immersion into the organization. And then they can decide before their SkillBridge internship is over. They can say, yes, I'd like to stay here. Or I'd like to leave because I don't like this. I don't want to go mm -hmm. be a bricklayer, you know? Yeah. Uh, and that's where that that piece comes in. They get a test drive. The candidate gets a test drive and the company gets a test drive. Could talk about this all day. As you know, these are game-changing opportunities. If you're a, an employer or a, an empl a company, you should be looking at these. You should be building robust strategies around these. These are cost-neutral. In some cases, they represent cost-positive. Um, and, and there's really no, there's really no downside to any of these programs. And if you're a candidate, absolutely pursue these. Yeah. While, while a part of me definitely wishes these things were around when we were uh, transitioning out, Matt, I, I'm just happy that they're around now, you know, for yeah. these, these individuals that are getting out. That's for we sure. make tons of, we've, we've made tons of progress since, yeah. since you and I got out, Tim, and, yeah. and I'm, I'm sure progress will continue, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Number eight on the list, add some bells and whistles. Uh, everybody, everybody likes you know the, the bells and the whistles, the cool features on the new phone, on the new car, mm -hmm. all of those things. Uh, so do the same thing with your company. Uh, offer some military-friendly leave policies for people who are uh, going to continue on with their military service through things like the reservist program or the National Guard. Uh, you know, maybe I, I know the company I, I'm currently employed with. There are uh, veteran groups uh, throughout different regions of the country. Um, you know, we have national, uh, a national group as well. We can do, you know, virtual meetings, get togethers, things like that organizations, uh, or, or we can organize, uh, little, little meetups in certain regions for people to get together. Uh, and also, uh, luckily, uh, for myself, uh, being, um, down in Memphis, going to the corporate headquarters, I got to meet some of the, uh, people that are in high places inside a, a very big company that also share a military background, uh, you know, there's a wall dedicated to some of those individuals. It was one of those things where you're like, and, you know, maybe one day I'll get my face up on this wall. Would be right. But you, you get to see how involved and how dedicated the company is to some of these veterans. And uh, it, it gives you a little bit of, you know, foresight. And, hey, there is an avenue for growth here for people, uh, you know, with my background as well. Yeah. ERGs, mentorship, mm -hmm. uh, pay differentials. Uh, a lot of guard and reserve members, as this article mentions, guard and reserve members have to kind of come and go from training. They have to sometimes take a Friday or a Monday off or extended training for weeks or months at a time. Uh, make sure that that process is really easy. Uh, make sure it's really easy for them to know what to do, how to how to come and go without it being painstaking. I, I often like to say, especially for guard and reserve members, 
these are men and women who are kind of living a double life. Not only are they coming to work full time with you, they're also going to work in another organization, maybe leading other operations or other teams. And then at any moment, as we saw through Iraq and Afghanistan, they can be called up and pulled away from their job and their mm -hmm. families. And so there's a there's a whole other element here to make it as easy as possible for those people to to be able to come and go. The other bells and whistles that you can out, you can offer, like a lot of this stuff, I, I talk about this is it's it's relevant to 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 everybody, not just veterans too. Like right now, with the way that the workforce is, you should be offering as much as you can to get people to stick around. And, and, and a lot of that's not like swag and stuff. It's just flexibility and mentorship and having exposure to things that maybe they wouldn't otherwise have exposure to. Mm -hmm. Uh, again, mentorship, taking the new person that's new to your company, right out of college, right out of the military, giving them exposure to like a C-suite that they otherwise, you know, a lot of people wouldn't have exposure to for many, many years. That's just a, a simple little perk, like a little bell or a whistle that you can add to this person's job that might root them further into your organization very quickly with very minimal effort or spend. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Number nine on this list, remind yourself why you want to hire veterans. When you're dealing uh, with transition military members who are new to the job hunt, it can be frustrating. Matt, I'm sure you can attest to this. This is when you want to remind yourself why you're looking for veterans to hire. This is not a pity party, and this is not something veterans think they're entitled to get. Let's remember that when uh, most of us decided to join the military and sign on those dotted lines, most of us were still very, very young people. Mm -hmm. uh, and for you know, 17, 18-year-old uh, kids, let's be honest, kids... To, to say, hey, I know that at least for the next four years, I'll be able to show up every day, do my job and be a professional about it. Uh, that That's something that most individuals at that age honestly aren't able to do. So by and large, this group of people, they're not going to ghost you on that second day when the job starts to get a little tough. They're not going to give up when they run into problems. The reality is, as military veterans, most of us are going to learn how to adapt and overcome it's what we learned in the military. It's what we're going to continue to do beyond our military experience. So bring them in for an interview and ask them about it. My mom was an educator. Uh, she taught at University of Cincinnati uh, until she retired. And and she hates it when I say this. But I would always say that some of the, the educational programs were a little bit overblown. And she'd ask why. And this is where the argument would start. And I'd say, well, why do companies require people to have bachelor's degrees of any sort. Like, why does a job description say you just have to have a bachelor's degree? It doesn't matter if it's an underwater basket weaving or business administration. Mm -hmm. And and her answer was, well, because it proves that somebody has been committed to a program for usually four years. And I said, well, what is the military then? And and she said, well, that's a little bit different. It's, you know, you kind of sign up and you're stuck there. I'm like, well, you're not stuck there. Like you can leave, you can check out of the military. Like you can, you can decide you're not going to be part of this organization anymore. And I realized that the learning processes are a little bit different, right? Like we still had tons of classroom time. In fact, mm -hmm. I would calculate we had more classroom and learning time in my military career, my four years in the military than I did in college. The other thing is that not all of my classes in college were relevant to anything that I do out here. So there's a lot of electives and things that were just fun to take as are any other, uh, any other educational program. So I'm not, again, I'm not discounting anybody with an education. I have a college degree too. I'm just comparing my my experiences to, you know, one from the other. And, and that's the argument that people make. Uh, here's the other thing. It says in the article, it's not a pity party. This is not the right thing to do. It's not because it's a good thing to do. You're not, you don't build a military program and spend money on payroll and wages and 
marketing Same. budgets and things like that, right? Because it feels good because it's the right thing to do. This is a population of men and women who are more diverse and, and more uh, oriented and experienced to a workplace, to a team uh, mentality, to uh, worldly experience and knowledge, et cetera, et cetera. They're more experienced. They're they're more exposed to that in a very short period of time than anybody you're going to get who has just stepped out of a college program or anybody you're going to get who's worked down the street for five years. Um, and I think the other piece of this is, I, I mentioned this, they are better educated. We've talked about this before. They have a higher level of high school diplomas, advanced degrees than their civilian counterparts of the same age. As I mentioned, they're more diverse from than a lot of the organizations you're going to pick from. If you go to any college down the street, unless it is a, uh, a historical minority-based college, uh, any college down the street, in most cases, uh, it's not going to have a whole lot of diversity compared to the military, which is somewhere around 35 or 41 percent diverse or something like that. So you're getting all of the elements that you want to hire into your workforce from the armed forces. Their resumes look a little bit different and they wear a uniform to work. Uh, but at five or 10 years in the military, sometimes they are more adept or more experienced leaders than somebody who has 20 years of leadership experience in the corporate space. Absolutely. Another thing I'd like to point out about the veteran community is, and, and this is not a knock on the 18 to 20 year old crowd, but you hire a 22 year old out of the military versus a 22 year old fresh out of college. I'm going to, I'm, I'll be willing to bet that better than 90% of those veterans of that same age are going to be better under pressure than those kids coming out of college. Not sure. that they didn't have any, you know, rough, rough patches or, 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 times where they felt pressure or, you know, they had to stay up late to make sure they got, uh, you know, a, a, a paper turned in on time, but individuals that go through the military, just in your, your basic trainings or your boot camps alone, they're built to put you under pressure and see how you react under pressure. Right. And you'll start to teach you how to deal and operate under pressure situations. And then, you know, if you spend years in the military and you end up getting deployed somewhere overseas uh, to a combat zone, there's, no greater pressure. So right. individuals that are coming back from things like that, they are built on pressure. They have proven they can operate right. successfully under pressure. There's not going to be a situation you're going to put them in, in a civilian job that's going to have them, you know, overwhelmed. In, in zero fail environments, I Absolutely. might add. So it's, it, you know, in the military, when you mess up, it's not like, oh, we, whoops, we wasted some money or uh, let's start it at, at square zero. It's now people are hurt or killed, right? Or, yeah millions of dollars of equipment are lost or damaged or destroyed yep. uh, or, you know, somebody down the street, not in your, in, in your element of people gets hurt or there's collateral damage. It, it, look, none of this is a comparison either. I'm not, again, I, I used to have this conversation with my mom sometimes and she would say, Oh, I, you know, college is this and that. And I'm like, I understand like that's your perspective because you haven't served in the military. Mm -hmm. I served in the military with some of the smartest, brightest, most athletic, most driven, knowledgeable people, worldly experienced people than I than I've ever known in in my civilian careers, right? It's it, I think there's this misnomer that people join the armed forces because they uh, don't have anywhere else to go or they yeah, are limited options. on options. And there are I mean I I knew tons of people that came from the farm in the middle of nowhere, right? But I also run into those same people out here in the workspace. The the guy who's running million dollar operations in New York City grew up on the farm also. Mm -hmm. it doesn't take anything away that they went in the military. It's again it's not a comparison. It's more of a it's more of an eye-opening piece that needs to be discussed because if you, it, a lot of us, many of us have gone through college or we've experienced college. Most of us have not statistically gone through the military. 
So most people's recollection of what it's like to, to transition from one thing to the next is from college into job or from job to job. Most people's recognition or recollection is not from military, literally, culturally, you're in a box and somebody opens the door one day and you walk out of that box and you leave everything that you've known inside of that box as you're leaving. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a whole lot different from leaving from leaving college. Not a comparison, again, more of an explanation to, to help people understand a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And number 10 on this list is persist. The key to success for all of us is to persist. The more you interact with veterans, spouses, and all the wonderful professionals working with them, the more you can focus on the best hiring tools that work for you and your company. Yes, it takes time. And the one thing we know at the Veteran Employment Project is that these veterans and their spouses are totally worth it. Could not agree more. Couldn't agree more. Uh, again, everybody's looking for talent right now. You should you should certainly be dedicating resources to tapping into these. We talked about SkillBridge. We talked about hiring. We talked about the educational diversity uh, reasons. It's a no-brainer. Mm -hmm. there, there are playbooks written. There are reasons why that some of the largest, most successful companies in America have dedicated programs to these. It's mm -hmm. it's not it's not a nice to have. It's a it is a, a business imperative. Our next article, Matt, this one came from you. Another great one is four important things to know when you're considering college as an older veteran. You know, this is something both of uh, both of us did. We we joined the military straight out of high school. I know for me, it was I didn't want any more school. I was done with school. I didn't want to do it, uh, you know, and I didn't really have a great plan of what I was going to do otherwise. So. I'll go to the military. I, I had family members uh, in the past that had gone to the military. I'll follow in their footsteps. It'll give me a little time to figure it out. And maybe someday down the road, I'll want to go to school, which I did, which you did as well. Uh, so, so deciding to go to college as an older adult is, is a significant consideration for people who are further along in life. Unlike younger college students, older adults have professional, financial, and family concerns that come along with a full class schedule. Uh, so here are some things that I know I was still, I was 22 when I got out and I think 23 when I started college. So I didn't feel like I was super old, but there was definitely an age difference between yeah. that 18 year old fr fresh out of high school. Same. You know, they literally, they've been out of high school for three months, yeah. three whole months. They've been out of high school right. versus I still looked at myself as a very young man, but I'm 23. Well, I can go to the bar. You got to also <laughs> remember too, when you're 23 years old after the military, I had visited 16 countries on yes. four continents, right? Yes. I, I had, I had been standing at the sand table with the colonels telling them, here's what my, my engineers going to think. You grew up really fast. You, mm -hmm. you had a, a whole lot of different experience versus that person who might be your same age, who didn't have any of those experiences. They'd been working at the restaurant down the street, right? So there's a, there's a huge element there that we're discounting. Yep, absolutely. So number one on the list, you likely won't be the only adult in the room. A lot of older people are going back to school these days for any number of reasons. According to the American Council of Education, 60% of undergraduate students in the United States are non-traditional students performing the same work, school, family balancing act that you do. Uh, non-traditional students are students that are typically 25 years old or more. They have families and work full-time while going to class. Uh, I will say, I, I just said, I still considered myself a, a young man at this time. Yeah. Uh, the first time I felt old going to school, though, um, I'd come out of class. Uh, me and a couple other guys were walking from one area of the school to another. Uh, I was working a full-time job, taking classes in the evenings. Uh, and the two, I think one was like 19, the other one was 20. They started talking about this show called The Chappelle Show. And I was like, I've, I don't know anything about this. Uh, if you don't know about it, find it. It's fantastic. It's amazing. Uh, it was hilarious. Um, 
but yeah, it was one of those where I was like, oh, I'm not up to date and hip on this right. cool right. stuff anymore. I'm like, I'm, I'm working all day. I'm going to class at night and then I go home, take a shower and go to bed. Like, Were you wearing sandals with socks? I was not. No, thank you, God. <laughs> white New Balances? Yeah. I didn't know. I didn't have my grilling outfit on <laughs> in class, but uh, I was already heading that direction. I can tell you that. I, I look, I, this one resonates with me because I found myself like I started same thing. I started at one college. I started at university of Cincinnati for a year. And then I actually transferred over to another smaller college nearby Northern Kentucky university. It was a better cultural fit for me, easier to get to from where I was working. I was working full-time job at night, 12 hour shifts, Cincinnati police department while going to college full-time. And I found myself oftentimes, again, I had that maturity level of post-military and I'm, I'm doing a pretty stressful job at the same time. I was just looking something up. Anchorman came out in 2004. So okay. that was right when I left the Marine Corps, right? I was quoting Anchorman jokes a couple of years later uh, in college to, you know, probably a freshman or sophomore class, not having not realized that when Anchorman came out a few years later, they were probably not even of age to watch it. And so like, yeah, I would always find myself cool. making jokes and references to movies and things like that. And I'd be sitting there like, ha ha, laughing around the classroom and nobody else is laughing. And I'm like, oh my God. I don't yep. fit in here. I don't belong yeah. here. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. So number two, earnings generally increase with more education. College is not for everyone. And many people do prefer vocations that do not necessarily require a degree. Uh, we talked about those earlier, the skill trades. Many of those do not require you to have any sort of college degree uh, or places where you can get promotions to higher titles based on your experience, as well as people are looking to just be self-employed. <clears throat> there are many avenues, especially for veterans, to earn a good salary. According to a 2021 survey by the Georgetown University, it found that in general, educated individuals tend to make more money over the course of their lifetimes. Adults with a bachelor's degree made an average of 2.8 million throughout their careers, while those with just a high school diploma earned $1.6 million throughout their working career. Just be careful that one of the big conversations you see in the news right now is student loans and people who can never repay them. So it's mm -hmm. it might be different if you're making lots of money, but you're if you took a bunch of student loans, for those of us who serve in the military, you might have the post 9-11 GI Bill or whatever those educational benefits are now. Uh, use those so that you're not stacked up with with the elements of student loans and, and things like that. Here's the other thing. A, a lot of people find themselves going and getting a some type of degree and then it never pays itself off because mm. you know perhaps it was a job that didn't pay very well. And I've known people who... Uh, who went into different fields of work after getting a master's degree, you know, spending six or eight years in college, getting a master's degree. And then they, they are making, you know, half of what somebody who just graduated high school and has a, uh, has a, a skilled trades job is making. So mm -hmm. it kind of depends on what you want to do. And these are averages. Again, this $2.8 million is accounting for, you know, your business executives, your Jeff Bezos of the world who are making billions of dollars a year who went to college, right? It's all averaging in those mm -hmm. versus, I guess Bill Gates never graduated college either, though. I so. don't believe he did. So uh, we'll it see. does mention here for those that want to find a career that pays well while learning it. Uh, I'm sorry, learning about its educational requirements. You can use places like monster.com. They have a salary comparison tool to find the top paying jobs for any college major. So, Matt, you, you mentioned before, there's some jobs out there that literally just want you to have a degree. Right. Uh, you know, obviously, no matter uh, what it is for, yeah. for like accounting jobs, more than likely, you probably want some sort of business. Sure you know, degree or an yeah. accounting degree, something along those lines. Uh, but there are, you know, a, a management job that they just want you to have a degree, period. That's it. It yeah. really doesn't matter. And 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 some of these like more specific job, uh, like career fields, at what point, 
you know, if you got a marketing degree 20 years ago, is is your education and marketing, or let, let's call it something else that's like evolved in 20 years, like like videography, yes, uh, uh, video editing, sound editing, things like that. Like the technology has completely changed from 20 or 25 years ago. Is it even relevant at that point? Like you have a degree and that just doesn't even matter that you well, have that type of degree. Let's look into the future. Uh, you know, I know that there's educational back or educational courses now that, that focus on like uh, social media marketing. Yeah. What works for social media today in probably five, five years, five years right. won't work, let yeah. alone 20. Yeah. So someone that goes to a school, by the time they get done their degree with a focus on you know social media marketing, what you learn that first year might not even be relevant anymore. Right. You got to, yeah. I've always found this, like I, I get a lot of education from the things that I read on a day-to-day -day basis. Yes. I have a political science degree. Political science plays into, people think it's politics and, and legal stuff. And it is a lot of that, but it's more like uh, public, like how the public perceives messaging and, mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So effectively, some of my political science stuff was actually marketing. It was, it was, it was public imagery and how you sh share a message and how you make it resonate with certain populations and things like that. Um, that stuff is forever, right? People's, I don't know, the sociology and psychology don't change in terms of maybe how people respond to things. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we're, in fact, we're seeing more and more of that. Now you, you watch the news and again, look at political measures and things that are happening before uh, elections. And, and you'll see, it's oh, like, yeah. it's almost like terraforming. Like they're kind of trying to get us to think a certain way. Mm -hmm. Um, that's absolutely relevant as marketing and things like that. But to your point, Tim, like social media marketing might be that degree or what you learn in college at that moment might be irrelevant in five years. You're going to have to be a lifelong learner. You're going to have to always seek new methods of, of, uh, of being able to kind of keep up with what's going on in the market. We're getting close on time, but Matt, real quick, yeah. are you saying that, you know, there's, there's no rhyme or reason to why certain political things get passed at certain times. It's just kind of random or is there kind timing of, yeah. behind it? Totally random. No, I mean, it really is. It's like, it's, it's, uh, there, there are studies on this. There was a, um, you know, this is one of those things that I, I remember from college, uh, during the, I can't remember which election it was, but there was an abortion bill on, uh, there was an abortion, something that you had to uh, uh, vote on for an abortion bill back in the, it's when George Bush, George W. Bush ran for president and they were able to put it on the ballot during the election to try to draw out the older conservative crowd mm -hmm. to vote, which then won more votes for George, uh, that's George what, W. Bush. That's what I'm saying. It, it wasn't a mistake that that happened. No. Uh, not it's, saying that the that the loan forgiveness type of thing is by right. Right. You know, there's right. primaries coming up. Just COVID COVID ended yesterday. Yeah, it's right. So it's it, right. It's the, it's the messaging. Weird. It's right. It's public perception. It's yeah. trying to get people. And look, I know we're we're right. We're mentioning a couple of like recent things, but that's, that's exactly what it is. Social engineering. And yep. people don't like this. It sounds very conspiracy theorist, but it, it really is like, I, I have books. Uh, I don't know if I have any of them up here. I have a handful of books that I kept from college that are political science books. It's, it's messaging and it's, it's social engineering and it's talking about, yeah, how you get a message across to influence people's thought process, to move a certain direction and do certain things a certain way. Um, I would bet through the COVID uh, pandemic that there, there have been, massive amounts of data collected on how people behave on social media and, and where people are moving and what they're doing and what they're talking about, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, that it, it's great. It's great for people who want big data and they want to be able to share messaging. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If we say this thing tonight on a, on a press conference, what's social media look like, uh, you know, eight hours from now. 
Right. This sort of things. Uh, number yep. three on this list is there are childcare assistant options available for students. Uh, you know, one of the one of the rough things about the transition for military members sometimes is, uh, you know, you, you've you've started to grow up a little bit. You've, you've come into adulthood. You've started to build a family, uh, you know, and you get out of the military. You find that first job. So not only are you at that job eight hours a day, uh, you have that young child at home, that wife, that spouse, whoever it is. She's also doing the same thing. He's also doing the same thing. And you want to go and further your education. Now you need to find childcare. So there are plenty of schools out there uh, that offer childcare. There are government websites you can go to go to childcare.gov. And mm -hmm. you know, maybe you can land that first job. And there, there's things like uh flex spending accounts for childcare or, or tax write-offs for those sort of things. But that's something you can ask about when you're looking for an educational institution. You can ask what sort of childcare benefits or options they have in-house to help you uh, along. Right. Number four, being older comes with its advantages too. You know, uh, Matt, I, I said earlier, I was I was walking from one class to the other uh, across campus with, uh, you know, a 19 and a 20-year-old. Uh, you know, I was never the one that, that people were looking for me to buy the beer after class. But, you know, hey, if I, wanted to, swing past, if I wanted to swing past the bar after class, I could. Right. They couldn't. If the thought of going back to class seems a little intimidating, remember that age also comes with a lot of experience. Older adults, especially veterans, have been juggling responsibilities for years. This means mm -hmm. that likely you have been mastering life skills like planning, budgeting, and focus. This won't be like any previous experience one might have had in academia. So, you know, for that kid that's coming out of uh, high school, going to college, they're away from their house for the first time. You know, most of them anyways, they, they won't be going home and sleeping in their childhood rooms. You know, so so planning out your day, budgeting your time, budgeting your money, and then, you know, setting aside, to, hey, you know, I have my work during the day. I have my classes in the evening. I set aside two hours after I get back from class to do any studying I might need to do. And then it's off to bed. Uh, for, for some of that younger crowd, it's I'm going to go to class and whatever happens, happens afterwards. Right. Or, or if I even go to class because I stayed yes. up too late the night before, right? Like, so in my final years of college, I had a child at home. I, again, I had a 12-hour shift, uh, shift-based full-time job at night, 7 to 7, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. And then I would go to college for a couple of hours during the day. And sometimes I'd, I'd scale back to part-time versus full-time mm -hmm. college. But uh, something that I had uh, to my benefit was maturity. Like I knew I had to get the work done and how to get the work done and how to plan it out. And between sleeping and taking care of a family, I had to do that thing, those things. The other, the other element here that I think a lot of younger people don't understand or realize, or maybe take advantage of is I tried to have really good relationships with all of my professors, with all of the people with whom I was working. Like they knew my story. They knew that I wasn't just kind of sliming around and showing up late to class because I had nowhere else to be and stuff like that. Like they, they all knew that I was coming right out of the military. And I told them right up front uh, that there's a bit of a transition period there. I'm still trying to put my life back together a little bit. And I think what that did for me was offered them a little bit of insight into, you know, I'm going to work my tail off. I'm going to work as hard as I can. Um, but it, it might not always be perfect and I could use any help I could get. And, and I don't think asking for help in that context is, is out of the question. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, I think it was my second day in my first college math course, um, after, after the class was over, I went up to the professor and just said, Hey, I might be coming up to you throughout the semester, asking some questions you're thinking are kind of weird, but I'm just letting mm -hmm. you know, I have not done any sort of formal math in four and a half years. Right. So some of this stuff, 
honestly, it's not in here anymore. So you're going to start like, talking about things and I'm going to be in the back of class. Like, you're like, listen, I, I know, I know calculations for, for TNT and C4 P equals plenty. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I can, I can get to that. Yeah. Right. Right. Like I, I can calculate, uh, gosh, I don't even remember those calculations. We, have, we always have the engineer card, but I can calculate the, uh, the, the turn, uh, on a road. If you're doing like a route, yeah. like a route recon, like yeah. can, can this bridge support the weight of a tank, you know, yeah. or, or what have you it's a lot of guessing, but P yeah. equals plenty. That was always the uh, calculation that you needed to know. I, I think my engineer card is right above me right here. As yeah. Fact. So I, I can, yeah. if need be, I can pull it out and we can do some calculations real quick. Yeah. But, That'd be awesome. Yeah. So, we'll do it next time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, those are those are the two articles we were going to discuss today. I think they're both fantastic articles uh, for the veteran community. So uh, thanks everybody for checking us out and checking in today. They're on the chat. Uh, we appreciate all of you very much. You can find us on all the major social media platforms as well as all the major podcasting platforms. So check us out wherever you check out your podcast. Make sure you uh, subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. And until next week, we'll be right back here on Beyond the Wire.